Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in John chapter 13. I'm going to cover verses 21 through 30 in this audio. I'll entitle it, Jesus Fingers Judas as His Betrayer. There are three parallel passages, Mark 14, 18 through, or 17 through 21, Matthew 26, 21 through 25, Luke 22, 21 through 23. I have done a previous audio covering all four of these passages that refer to this incident where Jesus names Judas as, as his betrayer. I will splice that in in just a minute. To give us the context here, the previous chapter, the previous audio, which covered the previous 20 verses, the first 20 verses of John 13, describe the incident where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So that's where we are at the Last Supper in the middle. A lot of details are left out by John, and we're not going to go over those. We're just going to take up this one incident that's covered in John as well as the synoptics where Jesus points out that Judas is his betrayer. So I'm going to splice in my discussion on Mark, my discussion in Mark on this about this incident, and that splice begins now. So Mark chapter 14, verse 17 says this. I'll read through 21. When evening came, this is Thursday evening, 14th of Nisan, and remember the Jews... Their day started at sundown, so when evening came, we we switched from the 14th of Nisan to the 15th of Nisan. It's still Thursday, but it's Thursday night, so that's the 15th of Nisan. When evening came, he, Jesus, arrived with the 12. That means arrived to the guest room in the man's house who had the servant with the water jug. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. At this juncture, let me point out that Luke says that at the meal there was a big discussion about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. You know, that never stops. <laughs> and uh, and Jesus said you need to be a ruler like a child and like a slave. In other words, as people with no authority. Great passage there, and that's in Luke 22. And then John, the apostle John in John chapter 13, mentions that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples at that last supper. A lot of stuff going on, which we'll cover when we get to Luke and John. So now let's... L- Look at one incident of the Last Supper, the when Jesus points out that Judas was his betrayer. Again, this is Thursday night, Jewish Friday. We'll look at my notes on Mark 14, 17 to 21 very briefly. Then I'm going to turn to Matthew, Luke, and John. There's three parallel passages here that discuss this incident of Jesus pointing out his betrayer. First of all, we see that Jesus says to the 12 apostles. I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. That sounds just like an incidental detail, one who is eating with me, but actually that shows the enormity of the betrayal because of the culture back then. Eating was a salient feature of Eastern hospitality, and violating Eastern hospitality was about as bad as sexual immorality. You just didn't do it. King James here says, one of you shall betray me, even he that eateth with me, to show that it's 
it's one thing to betray somebody, but to, but for somebody who is your closest, com- who is one of your closest companions, one of the twelve, who is eating an intimate meal, which was actually not just an ordinary meal, but it was a Passover meal, the last Passover that Jesus would ever eat with his disciples, and that's when he's going to get betrayed. Judas, when he did betrayal, he did it upright. It was the worst betrayal in the history of the human race. Now, if we look at the parallel passages, Matthew 26, 21 through 25, it reads exactly, almost exactly as the Mark passage reads. It does add one little detail in verse 22, Matthew 26, verse 22. It says, they were exceeding sorrowful in the King James or deeply distressed in the Holman Christian Study Bible. They were very, very upset that one of them was going to betray Jesus, and that's quite understandable. That's one little detail. Other than that, the passages are exactly the same. So I'll go through here and we'll discuss this in more detail. First of all, the scripture says that Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. Mark says that and Matthew says that with the twelve. That means Judas was back with the disciples having left the place of conspiracy with the Jewish high priest. Now, why was it necessary for him to come back and eat that last supper? Well, he needed to do that in order to carry out his plans. He needed to avoid suspicion so that the other apostles would not know that he had done something dirty, and they did. They had no idea. When Jesus tried to point out to them who this betrayer was, they were shocked. They didn't know who it was. Judas needed to get intelligence of where Jesus would go after the supper. So he had to go to the Last Supper so he could hear where they planned to go after they finished eating. He's looking for the best time that he could find to betray Jesus to the priest so that the crowd would not know. Another detail here, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. This was the custom of the Jews at Passover. John Gill, quoting a rabbi, says that in all other nights... We, this is the rabbi speaking, we eat either sitting or lying along, that is which way we please, but this night all of us lie along, all of us recline. So it was a special way of eating the Passover is reclining. Actually, the first Passover in Egypt was eaten standing up, as the NIV Study Bible and Gill point out. Exodus 12:11. here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. They didn't follow that tradition here at the Last Supper. Now, Jesus told the disciples, one of you will betray me. I assure you, one of you will betray me. Now, actually, Jesus had already told them that. In Matthew 20, verse 18, this is before, on his, near the end of his Galilean ministry, before he had gotten down to, to Jerusalem, Jesus told his apostles, listen, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. Handed over means Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to hand it over. So it's kind of a oblique hint that Jesus would be betrayed. Matthew 26, 2. This is, at, this is right before the, the meal in Simon the leper's house and right after the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is in Bethany with his apostles. He says this, You know that the Passover takes place after two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So it sounds like it's going to be a betrayal. It's a hint. But it's such a hint, the disciples were hard picking up on, I mean, they couldn't understand the fact that even he would even be killed. It was hard for them to understand this. John Gill claims that Peter and John were, were two alone of the disciples who actually understood what Jesus meant. Now, I don't know why he would say that. It seems to me that none of them understood it. But at any rate, this must have been caused quite a shock at what must have been otherwise a happy occasion. 
should have been, I wasn't, but should have been a happy occasion, a Passover meal eaten with the Lord. Instead, he's under the shadow of death and betrayal. Now, Mark says the disciples were distressed, and Matthew says they were deeply distressed. Why? Well, first of all, that Jesus would be betrayed just in general, that he would be betrayed by anyone, but especially they were distressed that one of the disciples, that band of brothers who had been traveling all through Israel for three and a half years or so, one of them was going to betray Jesus. Now, some of the disciples might have been distressed because they're thinking, well, what if it's me? What if I, what if I wilt in the face of the coming persecution that Jesus has told us about? Maybe some of the disciples were questioning their manhood. Maybe that's why they were distressed. Or I think it's most probably the fact that the idea of Jesus being betrayed, that fact in itself was enough to just wipe him out because they thought he was the coming Messiah. And then to top it off, to be betrayed by one of his own, that thought was so horrible, so hideous, it was unthinkable. They couldn't think it. Now, Judas, in the midst of all this distress, you could imagine he was probably acting like he was distressed. He was probably foolish enough to think that Jesus couldn't figure out who betrayed him. So he's going to sit there and pretend, oh, Jesus, that's terrible. Somebody's going to betray you. And this is the same Jesus that made the blind see and raise people from the dead. And this is what is incredible to me. Jesus, Judas saw all that. He saw all these incredible miracles. And he says, well, I'm going to betray him. What an idiot. Jesus replies on how he is going to point out the one who betrayed him. He's going to say, he says this in Matthew 26:23, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. Now, the NIV Study Bible says it was the custom to take bread or meat wrapped with bread and dip it into a bowl of sauce. And apparently, I think they dipped it and handed it to other people as a sign of fellowship of eating closely together. I know in China, which is an eastern country, and a lot of these customs, I can see parallels between the ancient Near East. In China, people were always grabbing food off of somebody else's plate and putting it, putting it, putting it on your plate, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, how sanitary is that? But they're thinking, oh, we're going to show respect to the foreigner. We're going to show him honor. A little cross-cultural differences in perception there. But at any rate, this is what this is. This is a, a, a symbol of fellowship, of intimacy, dipping your hand in the sauce. And what it was, dipping the bread, actually, into the sauce, dip. Jesus says dip his hand, but what he means is the hand is grabbing the bread and they put it into the bowl. And that bowl had a sauce made of stewed fruit, as the NIV study Bible says. Gill says the name of that sauce is the Charoseth sauce, and I might have pronounced it wrong. I got on the Internet and tried to pronounce it, and the Internet says Charoseth, and somehow I would think it would be Charoseth if it's Jewish. But anyway, the Charoseth sauce, it was... And it was not only unleavened bread that was dipped into that cherisus sauce, but also the bitter herbs that were there at the Passover meal. Cherisus sauce, according to John Gill, was made of figs, nuts, almonds, and other fruits, to which they added apples. It sounds great, really. All which they bruised in a mortar and mixed with vinegar and put spices into it, calamus and cinnamon, in the form of small, long threads in remembrance of the straw that they had to mixed with the clay when they were slaves in Egypt. And it was necessary it should be thick in memory of the clay. Thick straws because of the clay and long charoseth, thick charoseth in memory of the clay and long charoseth in memory of the straw when they were slaves in Egypt. This was done twice at Passover, Gil says. Normally you only dipped once at a meal. Now here's a question. How is this a signal since everybody's going to be dipping into the charoseth sauce, not just Judas? John Gill says you solve that by saying that 
Jesus pronounced those words right as he was dipping with Judas. The one that dips his hand in the bowl with me, he will betray me. Of course, in Matthew 26, 23, you got a problem with that. It's got dipped in the past tense. I don't I haven't checked that. That might be aorist, in which case you can translate that as, as a aorist does not really indicate time. It indicates aspect. It meant like whether it's continuous or intermittent or a point in time. So it could be the one who dips at, at a point in time his hand with me in the bowl. He will betray me. Or it could be that G, that Jesus just waited until Judas, Judas stuck his hand in the bowl to dip, and then Jesus dipped his hand in the bowl at the same time to indicate it was Judas. Or it could be that Jesus not only dipped his hand into the bowl with Judas at the same time, he could have been he dipped his hand in the bowl, took the bread, and then handed it to Judas. And when he handed it to Judas, that was the signal that Judas was the betrayer while the other apostles were dipping at separate times. and Plus, there's usually more than one bowl on the table. There could have been two or three bowls. And Jesus just picked his time to dip at the same time that Judas dipped. And that told everybody there. Well, it didn't tell everybody there. We'll see that it was basically John and Peter who knew what was going on. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to John. But it told them who the betrayer was. This dipping was probably a sign of special intimacy. As Adam Clark says, in the East, persons never eat together from one dish, except when a strong attachment subsists between two or more persons of the same caste. After this dipping, Jesus points him out, and Judas headed out of Dodge. We'll see that in John. He left. Now, as in, the NIV Study Bible points out these Eastern eating customs, and they say this, that, uh, to eat with somebody is the same thing as saying, quote, I am your friend and won't hurt you. And that's the same as it is with Arabs even today. Psalm 41.9 says this, Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. And many people say that Judas fulfilled Psalms 41.9 prophetically. Jesus continues in Matthew 26.24. This passage is also in Mark. He says this, The Son of Man will go just as it, as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, the Son of Man is Jesus' standard messianic title that he gave himself. In many previous audios, I've, given, I've gone through the derivation of the, uh, the etymology of that phrase. It's a slam dunk. It means, I'm the Messiah. He will go just as, as it is written about him. Where is it written that Jesus would go? Go where, by the way? Go to heaven by being killed. Leave the world to go to the Father. Where was it written about him thus? Isaiah 53 2b through verse 5, probably the suffering servant passage here. Let me read this. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. That's where it was written about him that Jesus would have to go. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Just as the scriptures wrote about Jesus, that's the way he was going to his father. And then we can mention Daniel 9 26. The 70 weeks prophecy, and after those 62 weeks, that's 62 plus 7, mentioned earlier, after the 69th week, before the 70th week, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. Now, it's interesting, we haven't gotten to Luke yet, but Luke has that same phrase, the Son of Man shall go, 
But instead of saying as it has been written, it says as it has been determined, which shows that if you believe the Bible, that which has been written is the same thing as that which has been determined. That which God has written through the Holy Scripture is that which God has determined because God knows the future, and of course he can determine things in the future. But he says, but woe to the man who it is being, he is betrayed. And when you talk about the old perennial free will and contingency and necessity discussion, free will versus predestined, free will plus God's determination, God's sovereignty issue, you will see here that it was determined by God, but Judas was still responsible. God's determination of event does not deprive anybody of their moral responsibility to make moral free choices. That's to me is the proves compatibilism that God's sovereignty is compatible with a man's free will. If I decide right now to lift up my left hand, which I'm now doing, God determined that before the foundation of the world that I would lift my hand at that time. They go together. Jesus says it was better for that man if he had not been born. That was a common rabbinical saying. Actually, it's a phrase that Americans use all the time, too. Wish I hadn't been born. The idea being that it was a whole lot better not being born than spending an eternity in hell. Jesus wouldn't have used that phrase about Judas if there was any chance of Judas being redeemed from hell. The phrase wouldn't be true at all. This is for those people, those universal reconciliation shack people who think that Everybody's going to get saved, which is absolute nonsense. Matthew 26:25 says this, Then Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. You have said it is just a way of saying you said it, but yes. The answer is yes. So Jesus directly confronts Judas with his apostasy and betrayal. Up until that point, Judas was continuing his hypocritical charade. Oh, oh surely not I, Jesus. Surely not I. He actually said that. Not only were the apostles saying that, but he said that. This is in this is only in Matthew chapter 26, verse 25. And Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Is it I, Rabbi? He saith unto him, Thou hast said it. Well, that's where I am right here. Judas is saying, Surely not I, Rabbi. He's, he's being a hypocrite to the very end. So now let's turn to, I'm not going to turn to Luke, because Luke, except for that determined, the fact that that, it was determined as how Jesus would go instead of as, as it was written. That was an interesting detail. But other than that, nothing is added. So let's go to John 13 where a good bit is added. Let's go to verse, let's see, John 13, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had said this, this was when he said, one of you will betray me. John says that he, Jesus, was troubled in his spirit and testified, I assure you, one of you will betray me. So this is interesting detail here. The other three Gospels, the Synoptics, did mention that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This was an anguish. He was a human being. He didn't like being betrayed any more than you or I would. He was still grieved at the betrayal of a friend, as the NIV Study Bible show says. Now, the question arises is, why would Jesus announce to the disciples that somebody was going to betray him? Adam Clark says maybe Jesus was trying to warn Judas so he would repent. Well, maybe so. Or maybe he was trying to warn the disciples. Judas, Judas could get them killed just as well as he got Jesus, Jesus killed. And Jesus is trying to say, you got to look out for this guy. Now, as we drop down further in John, or actually, as we look back three verses in John 13, Jesus says this, I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. So that was a hint that somebody was going to betray him. And now this makes it clear 
when he says, one of you is going to betray me. Probably only when Jesus said that in John 13, verse 18, it was only Judas who understood who Jesus was referring to. The other disciples are probably saying, what in the world is, is he talking about? John 13, verses 22 through 26 is completely unique to the four Gospels that describe this scene. So I'll read this. Verse 22 of John 13. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, He's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. Now, there's one thing I discussed earlier about how would the disciples know who was the betrayer because everybody's dipping the bread in the Chariseth sauce? Well, the answer might be right here in verse 26 of John 13. Jesus said, He's the one I give the piece of bread to. The giving of the bread is going to tip everybody else off. This assumes that nobody else gives, that Jesus would give bread to nobody, to nobody else at the meal. Now here we have the little interplay between Simon Peter and John. John is probably sitting next to Jesus. Simon Peter is sitting next to John. Simon Peter is curious about who this person that could be betraying Jesus. So he motions to John, find out. And so John is sitting reclining next to Jesus with his head in front of Jesus' chest. So John, in verse 25, leans back against Jesus' chest and asks him, who is it? Jesus said, he's the one I give the bread to after I've dipped it. So John would know who it was. Not the rest of the disciples now, but John would know after the dipping who the betrayer was. It doesn't say that John leaned back and told Simon Peter, but you would think he did since Simon asked him to find out who it was that was going to betray. So I'm going to assume that happened. In verse 22, it says the disciples were uncertain which one he was speaking about. That shows that they had no idea. They had no suspicion of Judas. He completely covered up his evil nature until then. So they must have thought at this point that the betrayal would, not, would be involuntary. In other words, a betrayal under pressure, under persecution, not for money. So they were probably thinking, you know, one of us is going to yield to the persecution. We're going to crack under pressure. They, they didn't think that somebody would actually sell Jesus out. By the way, it doesn't say John put his head on the on his breast. It says the disciple whom Jesus loved. We assume that's John because John modestly didn't mention his name as he wrote the gospel. Most everybody says that's John. This doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the other disciples as the NIV study Bible points out. It just means there was a special bond between Jesus and John. Just like some, It doesn't mean you don't love all the people in the world, but you got special friendships that you especially love. Notice that John identifies Judas in an unusual way. He says, he, Jesus, gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son's son. I don't know who Simon Iscariot was, but I bet he was ashamed of his son when he found out what he had done. The NIV Study Bible says that John used Judas, Simon Iscariot's full name to record the solemnity of the moment. And also, and John Gill says it was also done to distinguish him from the other disciple who was named Judas. He wanted to make sure that the wrong Judas didn't get blamed for this horrible act of betrayal. Now, why do you think Simon wanted to know who, and John also wanted to know, who was going to betray Jesus? Perhaps they thought they might could stop the traitor from executing his plan. Of course, it was determined from the foundation of the world this was going to go through. 
The disciples didn't realize this. You know, Peter shortly thereafter sliced off the high priest's servant's ear, Malchus's ear, with a sword trying to stop Jesus' arrest. So they were still thinking about stopping the, the nastiness. Another reason they might wanted to know about who the traitor was so the rest of them could be free from suspicion. They didn't want to have that horrible taint of treachery laid on them. So John 13:27 says this, after Jesus ate the priest after Judas ate the piece of bread, the piece of bread that Jesus had handed to him, Satan entered him. This is the second time that Satan's entered Jesus. He entered Jesus right before in Luke 22:3 right before Judas went to conspire with the chief priest and the temple police. This was on Thursday before the meal, Thursday in the daytime. Satan entered him then, and now Satan entered him again when Jesus exposed Judas. As when Jesus let Judas know that Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. And as I said, I think I said this earlier, this does not mean that that Judas was a zombie completely possessed by Satan. It just means that he gave Satan permission to do evil stuff in him. Jesus saying, what you're doing, do quickly. Jesus, Jesus is totally in control of the situation, as the NIV Study Bible says. He would die as he directed, not as his enemies directed. So he says, okay, Judas, I know what you're going to do. Go do it. Just get it over with. Do it quickly. Gil says that Jesus was deriding Judas, having nothing to care about or fear from him. Just get out of here. Do what you're going to do. And it showed he would take no methods to prevent Judas. He was going to let the scripture be fulfilled, unlike Peter. Some say that this was a, because this was the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that that's why Satan entered into Judas, because it was a specially holy time. I, Adam Clark says this is an utter mistake. I agree. I don't think that has anything to do with it. What had, The reason Satan entered Judas is because Judas decided he was going to betray the Son of God. John 13, 28 through 30, none of those reclining at the table knew why he had told them that told him this. In other words, do what you're going to do quickly. The rest of the apostles heard that and said, what do you mean go do quickly? Do what quickly? Verse 29, John 13, since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, the Passover, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the bread, piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. The fact that they thought that Jesus could be directing the treasurer, Judas, to give something to the poor shows that even as poor as they were, with no money, traveling around as itinerant ministers, they gave to the poor, which is a remarkable thing. They lived off charity, but they gave anyway, Adam Clark says. And that's the principle. I don't care who you are, what ministry you're in. If you, I remember I was at a church in China, a church I really liked. It was started by Westerners. had a lot of Chinese in it, of course. And... They constantly gave money to other missionaries. I never had seen that before. I said, whoa, you know, you're taking money in and you're giving it back out. I like that. And they and they had been cut off by their fundamentalist mission board because of their, the, the mission board's legalism and stupidity. And this church broke free of the law and found out about grace. And as a result, got all their money cut off. But God immediately gave them some other means of support. And they constantly given money to other missionaries. It's pretty remarkable. After receiving the piece of bread, verse 30 says, he, Judas, went out immediately, immediately because he knew his number was up. And it was night. What is that, just a incidental detail it was night? Well, if you're literary, NIV study Bible suggests then, it could have been more than a time note. It could have been in light of John's strong emphasis on the contrast between darkness and light. If you read, you know, of course, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And if you walk in the light in the, in the letters of John, you like that light metaphor. 
And maybe he was just saying, going along with his propensity to emphasize light versus darkness, he's saying this was particularly a dark time, betraying the Son of God. John Gill says this, quote, His was a work of darkness, Judas, was a work of darkness. The night was the fittest time for it, and it was a proper emblem of the blackness of the crime he was going to perpetrate. And Adam Clark says this, quote, Under the conduct of the prince of darkness, and in the time of darkness, he did this work of darkness. Now, when it says none of those reclining at the table knew why he had told Judas, that why Jesus had told Judas, do what you do quickly, notice that that's not meant to be totally. It doesn't mean every every last single one of them didn't know, because obviously John knew. Because he, he leaned over and asked him, and, he, and John probably told Peter, but at least John knew. But the rest of them didn't. And, of course, Judas knew, too. He knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. All right, that's the end of Judas's betrayal of, uh, this is the end of Jesus pointing out that Judas would betray him at the Last Supper. All right, I've returned from my splice of my audio that I did in Mark concerning this betrayal of this uh, exposure of Judas as Jesus's betrayer. In our next audio, we're going to have Jesus still at the Lord's Supper. He's going to warn his disciples against desertion. That will cover John 13, 31 through 38. I hope you listened to that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one.